0: In a world where unified global capitalist production promotes a lineal perspective on time and, consequently, a standardized approach to temporality where all human history is perceived as a natural process of progress in which each moment
1: is conceived as overcoming the previous. One bear and one lady are dismantling this regime of temporality to
0: claw their way back into the charts and your hearts. It's Knackers and the Vadge. Welcome, you dirty fucking fuckers. Welcome once again to Knackers and the Vadge, recipient of the Internet's most fictional podcast prize for excellence, as selected by a panel of no one. No class warfare for you today. No, <laughs> no, you know. not even
1: just a little bit.
0: Oh, uh, look, you're a shitlib. You know, you're a shitlib cuck, Francis Leach, <laughs> um, as he is otherwise known.
1: That's on my business card now. I'm going to put that there.
0: Sports commentator, trading occasionally as a rock snob, and often on his charm alone. You can call this fine broadcaster. Francis Leach, I can call him, my former flatmate, who clings to the remnants of a dying empire.
1: Wow, that's some introduction. I'd best get my coat and go.
0: Uh, hey, doll. How <laughs> are you? I'm good. How are you? I mean, the world has got worse since the last time we spoke, like visibly more crap, right? Yeah, but it's always going to, isn't it? Oh, Christ. If you can't see that this is an unusual intersection between old power dying and new power, serviceable new power yet to emerge. It's like rubbish night for history. (laughs) Do you really not think, can you really do that whole tale of two cities, oh, the the best of times and the worst of times? It's an unusually shitty time. It's
1: an unusually shitty time and I do not go for the best is yet to come. I'm not in that school of thinking.
0: We're all going to burn in a fire. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I mean, look, unless serious action is taken, we're done here. Come on. This uh, is true. So rage, rage against uh, the dying of the light. Raven burn till close of day. Would you not agree?
1: I'm excited at the prospect of change that will actually radically transform our economy in a way that means that we are less likely to impact
0: on- Well, the, when's the, that going to fucking happen? Well, it's already happening. Oh, God, no! Well, you I brought selected, that up. I selected a, a topic. Or a, so what's happening? Well, how has the economy in Australia changed?
1: It's slow. I'm eating an apple. Sorry.
0: How has the economy – okay, here's, <laughs> here's a travel sick bag for you. Yeah. Okay, you've got 30 seconds to tell me how your fucking minimum wage slight raise for those people who have permanent employment is going to change the economy or whatever. Go on. Because we've just got the centre-left, the centre-left party just acquired government uh, here in the nation-state popularly known as Australia, so the centre-right mob are out. Just FYI, the difference between the two, pretty much like the Republicans and the Democrats, absolutely identical policies except one party uses offensive language and one party doesn't. When the Australian Labor Party is practising cruelty in many of its forms, they use Correct language, because that's the important thing. Respectful language. Okay, so are you empty? I'm going to give, Francis, have you got a, a telephone <laughs> device? Have you got I a, have. Okay, can you set a timer? I'm going to give you 45, 45 seconds, seconds to tell me how the economy in Australia is going to change. And, and try to name some policies, okay?
1: I'm starting now. Okay, go. So the new Albanese Labor government. <laughs> you just laugh before I start. You don't even give me a chance. (laughs) I've already wasted 10 seconds on that. Will be at the forefront of creating a new (laughs) green manufacturing sector, smart manufacturing sector, which will transition our economy to net zero by 2050 and put Australia at the forefront, Helen, at the forefront of a new green economy which will provide (laughs) prosperity and jobs for successive generations of Australians and create an energy, global energy green superpower house that we can all be proud of. And that was all in under 40 seconds done.
0: Okay. All right. So so uh, by 2050- Five seconds to spare. By 2050, when we regularly are experiencing 50 degree days and summer that extends from Arsehole to breakfast time, things will be better and it's all due to Albanese. Of course, that's the Prime Minister of this joke called Australia. I mean, sure, Australia remains the largest net exporter of coal, quite arguably the most poisonous fossil fuel in all the global kingdom. <sighs> that's not changed, but hey, green energy. Would
1: you just like to turn off all those, uh, those uh, energy-generating power plants in, in the third world? that uh, currently rely on Australia's baseload coal supply to actually people Oh, fuck off.
0: (laughs) Seriously, fuck off. Like, like, okay, give it away to the needy, all right, but they're absolutely, come on, that is a specious fucking argument. You bringing up the developing nations. Fucking hell. Or did you say old school third world? I feel that that's more (laughs) honest, you know. Well, developing to what? They've been developing a long time. It's just the colonial project. Hey, hang on, Helen. Uh, welcome to <laughs> NACA's. Um, like, do do call him a shit lib. I shit-lib. love
1: being back here. Do I,
0: call him a shit lib cuck because, oh my God, he's so easily deluded. Call me Ishmael. I also answer to Helen Razor and I also answer to, shut up, you fucking trot. <laughs> Which is what my dear former flatmate called me on the socials, as though he ah, it was an insult. You know, I shan't go on, but let me say uh, his woefully imperfect analysis of uh, Jeremy Corbyn's performance in the 2019 election was challenged by Hélène. Poor seems to think that Jeremy undermined the Labour Party's popularity. Lol, lolity lol. Shed 80 seats Bef-
1: in the Parliament.
0: Oh, for fuck's sake. Just
1: giving you the numbers.
0: It was always going to be a Brexit election and in 2017 he fucking smashed it and made up for the ground that was absolutely lost and pissed on by the Blair government. So he's not a Blairite. Like seriously, Francis, I don't know how you can object to Jeremy Corbyn when his manifesto was precisely what you say you are Keynesian, absolutely to the letter.:
1: I don't object to Jeremy Corbyn. I just thought he ran a shocking campaign, Helen.
0: He's a shocking campaigner, but in 2017, person
1: in, to carry that: that pr- program No one forward. would have
0: won. No one would have won. The, it was the Brexit election for fuck's sake. It was about Brexit.:
1: Which he never took a stand on or a position oh, on.:
0: No, you just chose not to listen. You just chose not to listen. He's a dickhead in terms of campaigning because he, he's not comfortable with lying, okay? Jeremy Corbyn is uncomfortable with lying. In 2017, that happened to work quite well, very well. So only two years later. And what had happened in those two years was a lot. There needed to be an identifiably Brexit politician, running it was not about the parties it was very much about brexit and to say that jeremy corbyn is not popular is an unpopular figure is to would he be elected
1: would he be elected now if he faced off against boris johnson
0: i mean i don't know i'm not familiar enough with uk politics but i mean your analysis was wrong and to say oh he was the wrong figure he was the wrong figure who's the right one what do you want to go for another like inoffensive shitlib I mean, yes. Like myself. He's, he's, terrib- he's terrible at, you know, but the world has changed, right? Like, the, the world is, has really changed. Like, there is a, there is a reason that populist fatty Jobs got the gig. I mean, somehow this prick from Eton, whose establishment, as they fucking come, using a little bit of the populist vibe, made him look so strangely, although being ultimately establishment, a rebel. Like I mean, I remember once, like, because I was fascinated with uh, Rupert's Twitter feed. I mean, it was it just it's that's just not like, good for you. No, no, that was years ago. It was just like, it was quite amazing. It was like, somebody take away his iPad. I mean, this is
1: like <laughs> I kind of liked that he was doing it because you got this window on just how yeah yeah
0: but, nuts he is. Ah, uh, uh, well, you know, nutty like a fox. As a master of corporate governance and overtaking, like, the world's largest media conglomerate.
1: I would just like to say that this is the most humble day of my life. Hey. Remember that quote?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't really give a fuck. I mean, I presume all billionaire majority shareholders are nuts. Don't you? No, you don't. Yes, because, I do. Uh, I mean, did you I, see Jeff Bezos in his fucking cowboy hat after he Chuck yeager it up?
1: What a dickhead.
0: I, I mean, yeah, it was pretty funny. But 2017, right, Labor was forced to do a campaign outside of mainstream media. You know, the momentum thing happened, right? So it was a grassroots campaign. Yeah? You accept that?
1: Oh, it definitely was. Absolutely.
0: And the, the, the young membership of the Labor Party was extraordinary. I mean, he was legitimately elected leader of the party by 250. Can you imagine the Australian Labor Party having more than... 10 people going to branch meetings regularly. I mean, seriously. You know, like a huge party. And it was all so interesting about the elections. Do do you know the work of David Graeber?
1: No, I don't. Uh, I think I really like it.
0: David Graeber, sadly, carked it about a year and a half ago. Brilliant bloke, not yet 60. An anthropologist uh, who wrote some books I think you'd really like, Francis. Uh, there is a book, Debt: The First Five Thousand Years. Um, I'm
1: look at that right now. Yeah, Keep it's a re, it's
0: a retelling, I guess, mostly of the work of a heterodox economist called Michael Hudson. Who?
1: Well, there it is. It pops up top of the list of searches. It must be good because the Google algorithm wouldn't lie to me. Keep going. No,
0: um, so that is good. There is a fun book, one of his later works. It's called Bullshit Jobs. I um, like the title. Uh, yeah, I've had
1: plenty of those.
0: And uh, he was remembered by, you know, many in the press who didn't give his ideas any coverage at all. And he worked at the London School of Economics. And one of his projects was just pointing out how the media were treating Jeremy Corbyn. So how
1: would he have characterised the coverage of Corbyn in that election?
0: Well, he he was livid about it.
1: I know he's angry about it, but what what, what particular aspects of the The, coverage? The
0: LSE, in fact, did a study so you can have a look at the asymmetry. It was decided long before you said it that Jeremy Corbyn was not fit to run an election, despite the fact in 2017 he was probably our only fucking candidate with a hope in hell. And, you know, by accident. I mean, mean, I'm not saying that, you know, history progresses evenly or, or anything. But 2019, I think people were, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know enough, but I think you were wrong to claim that he was the wrong person. It was probably the best choice. Who the fuck else are you going to run? So, so Graeber did a lot of this study. I mean, it sent him off his head. Happened to be Jewish as well. Mm. Uh, and the anti-Semitism stuff well, was, was just great. such fucking Zionist bullshit. It was absolute bullshit. Of course I stand with my Jewish comrades. Of course I despise anti-Semitism. But, I mean, how anti-Semitic is it to use that as a foil, really? There is real, true anti-Semitism. And Jeremy Corbyn had none of it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think that there was a right person to lead. Like, the world's fucked.
1: So at this particular juncture...
0: I mean, you know your Anthony Albanese only (laughs) won because, you know, it wasn't a massive victory. It wasn't a mandate. Like the biggest swing was to people who aren't in major parties and that's happening across the West, right? It
1: is. Yes, I think it is. And that poses a real challenge for the established parties to try and come to terms with the changing nature of politics. Well,
0: well, they're not.
1: Well, they are struggling. There's no doubt about it. I will not pretend otherwise. No, Uh,
0: I mean, it's just like for years we have a choice between two different oppressors because of the might of the two major parties. And so we have a government, 31% of the primary vote. It's not much, is it? Well,
1: it's still a... It is not, you know, you're talking about the British elections where it was first past the post that got you elected, which is an even less representative sample of what is really the uh, the population's true will. And uh, so at least with the two party preferred vote, you get a better sense of what people really want. But um, no, there's no doubt. What
0: people really want is for them to fuck off. <laughs> you know, I mean, no one wants to think about this shit. Like no one wants to think about politics. I completely understand that. And they're so dull. And. The fucking press gallery. What about their work, eh? Not a fan. Only time they got excited was when, uh, you know, oh, surprise, surprise, a woman's been sexually assaulted at work and isn't it terrible that it happened in Parliament? Yeah, of course, it's terrible when it happens anywhere, you know? Fuck me, that shat me. Fair enough, to You know? Uh, like it was exceptional? Of course politicians are handsy fucking grabby fuckers. They're just
1: a sample of the wider population.
0: In that way. Yes. But in no I mean. other ways at all. Okay. I'm sorry, darling.
1: That's okay. I can take uh, it. No I know what I came here for.
0: No, uh, but who who should have run? Who should have run though? Tell me.
1: Who yeah, should have who should
0: have mm. you called him a trod.
1: Well he is. No, he he's was. not. Did you
0: read the manifesto? He's a fucking straight ahead fucking bullshit Keynesian. He's not a revolutionary.
1: He was back in the anyway.
0: Oh well so Were we all?
1: Some of us still are no. Sorry. But you were
0: never a trot.
1: No, I was never a trot. Yeah,
0: but I mean, could
1: never do that. Oh,
0: me. so he had a flirtation with the Socialist Workers Party or something. But what was trot about his presentation?
1: Yeah, no, that was a bit glib. I apologise. That was a mischaracterisation at the you, time. And
0: you unfriended me on Facebook.
1: I unfriended a lot of people. I was going through a phase. It's where,
0: me. I
1: well, Don't use Facebook anymore, Helen. Don't you know? I just don't go there anymore. N- neither do I. It's horrible. But I, neither it's a do I. But sewer.
0: It, it was. It, neither do I. But I was. I was searching for somebody else beginning with F. I can't remember. And you came up and I looked and we were no longer friends. You unfriended me. If you no longer use Facebook, and it is shit, why would you bother? Why did you unfriend me? Oh, I must have cracked the shit. You did! (laughs) But i have refriended you. It was short. Well, after (laughs) I sent a request. (laughs) Was that embarrassing for you?
1: Oh, you know. Yeah, probably. You know when you do it and you go, oh, shit, that wasn't very smart. Oh, whatever.
0: It's me. How I long know. Have we known each I was, other? Oh, maybe fucker. I
1: wasn't very well at the time, and no. I was going through a bit of a fucking. Everyone
0: can go and get. Yeah, f- I've never done anything like that. <laughs> really, Helen Razor and Francis Leach together at last. <laughs> I'm sorry about all of that. I'm sorry. We had about- to
1: air that though.
0: Yeah, it's important. Yeah, I'm. Mean, I'm oh, sorry.
1: I'm sorry. I did that the
0: Green Revolution? <laughs> Third world countries need. We could show some leadership in the in the region, is all I'm saying. Um, so we'll visit a hill. We'll run up it. In fact, I have selected a safe site of investigation, so hopefully we won't argue too much, down to a politics-free pasture, and we'll chew on wholesome cud. To wit, the popular music of the 20th century and that of the early 21st, and the consumption thereof. A journey of digital discovery from disc to digital. It won't end in argument, but it does begin with Kate Bush. Did you see the story about Kate Bush? Well, I've been
1: following the phenomena because I love Stranger Things, and I haven't watched the fourth season yet because I'm doing a bit of catchy up, but it blew my mind that she suddenly found this new generation of young fans, particularly in the United States, who... I mean, music, I don't know if you've watched Stranger Things, but nah. music, music is a central component of the sort of nostalgic um, flavor of the program. It's used the, the, brilliantly. The, the, yeah, the, absolutely brilliantly. The, yeah,
0: the nostalgic needle drop. Shall yeah. we call it that? Yeah, the, that's the, a great way to describe nostalgia it. The nostalgic needle drop. I was just thinking about uh, the first time, because it's very common. I mean, that movie, Baby Driver, I yep. mean, that was essentially all nostalgia needle drops. They happen quite a lot.
1: They do, but uh, the, the, what I want to say about Stranger Things is that they are so on point. And yeah, it, not are, sure. Not, not right throughout the entire three series I've watched so far, I'm just finishing the third one now, yeah. they just pick the moments brilliantly. They've obviously done, they've got some smart people who- Oh, yes,
0: I very, I very much like a good music placement. I might give oh, it another go if that really, reason alone. It's really,
1: really good. And so from what I believe, uh, uh, the use of running up that hill uh, uh, is just used as a thematic return right throughout the four series
0: i'm unfamiliar with stranger things which is odd for somebody in my demographic i contend i put it to you that it is not in fact young people watching stranger things it's a youth program for consumption by older people <laughs> i don't know it's
1: both because i know um evie my daughter she's 20 and uh, her friends love it so they're sort of but this, this goes to what you're talking about, is that ability now for music to be um, liberated beyond the chronology of when it was made, which is what we knew when we were growing up. The records came out at a particular time um, and they were tethered in many ways to our our electronic memory of the time, now that no longer happens. It it seems now that because of the way that uh, people discover and use popular music, and not all of it uh, is great, obviously, but they can now find these tracks or these, usually the songs, not albums, albums are such an old-fashioned idea, um, and they are – Recontextualized by the fact that they're discovered as new because they're presented in the same way as everything else. So if Kendrick Lamar releases okay, a, all a, right. a, a track, drops a track onto some service today, and you it sits alongside a Run DMC song, which is made thirty five years ago. If unless you know, you don't know. It's just two hip hop tracks that you can pick between.
0: Sucker MCs must call me sire.
1: <laughs> I love <my> King <laughs> of Rock. Awesome.
0: Out in the same year as Running Up That Hill. Okay, so. If you've not seen this thing, I haven't, I try to avoid news so I don't have arguments with Francis. Uh, but when season four of the Netflix series Stranger Things debuted, please, I refuse to say dropped <laughs> last month, um, streaming of Kate Bush's song, Running Up That Hill from the record Hounds of Love, because she very much is an album artist, surged and much was made, very much was made, of its appearance at number one on the billboard charts. Now, we are not representative of perhaps the mass apprehension of popular music in that we both made our living from playing pop music records. This is true. I'm not saying I have a finer understanding, but, uh, you know, you're talking to two teen rock nerds. Although you're not so much of a rock, Snob Francis Leach, when we moved into a house together, no fucking furniture, five thousand pieces of vinyl. <laughs> That's all I owned. Uh, there I are like them up from to, Melbourne. Yeah, rock snob kids today are also demanding vinyl. They're sort of trying to replay our '80s, '90s experience and good on them.
1: It's heartwarming to see.
0: You know the unusual ones who become obsessed with music. I contend that. Since a generation on from the birth of mass culture, we have always been exposed in the West to earlier things, whether that be one's parents' decision to play golden oldie radio on your way to school or your parents' record collection like you always know. And in our case, I mean, you and I were both listening to records made before the year of our birth.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's where you start, really, isn't it? Sort of. That's the entry point, particularly... Well, if, if
0: you're a rock snob. Yes. You know, if you're a popular music snob and you know a lot of shit.
1: Oh, but he also was a child of teen AM radio as well. Yeah. So I I don't know what you're like with this, but I, if I hear an old song, I can date stamp it to a particular time in my life. So oh, absolutely. If, like, so if I hear Fisher's yeah. Ed so long, which is just a you know, a pop song from the early 80s, but for me that instantly takes me back to doing my paper round and throwing the Herald Sun on yeah. someone's front and, lawn. And
0: also, so, yeah, yeah, because your, your major time. apprehension was of radio, Comrade Leach makes an excellent point. You can date stamp a piece of music and attribute it to a particular time. To a very
1: personal experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. No one knows why music works the way that it does. We just know that it does. I did go to a piano performance once <laughs> just, of, of Gershwin, actually, because that's as posh as I'm prepared to get. And the pianist talked about musicology. So musicologists yeah. do have some understanding of why minor key makes me feel sad. But I don't think that the, the mechanism like it does bury itself in your consciousness. And I always like to know a little bit about market research because it reveals so much about our surrounding conditions. And so market research has been done into uh, this both indirectly and directly. There is a particular age, you know, ages that are crucial to the formation of identity where memory does tend to, associate itself with other things and, of course, powerfully music. When Golden Oldies stations used to program in the 1990s and what have you, they targeted an audience in a particular age group and they played the songs that that audience would have liked when they were 15.
1: So 15 was the sweet spot, was it?
0: 15. This is the the radio wisdom. It's imperfect wisdom. I
1: think it's pretty close in terms of... Yeah, it's interesting. There are two things that are interesting me, that why that particular time? Because, you know, there are different times in your adolescence, you know, because you, you're changing so rapidly as well. Your music yeah, tastes it's changing. a
0: protein time. Yeah.
1: So that's a really fascinating one. And, but also why we would, why would we find that time so appealing in terms of if that's… But I mean, it's
0: not necessarily appealing. I think being 15 is fucked. Yeah, it's I didn't have such worst. a great
1: time at 15. Did anyone? <laughs> no. It's, it's shithouse. But everything is more heightened at that age, isn't it? So Yeah, you if, have
0: big feelings and they're real.
1: So your response to a piece of music was also, oh, my God, this three minutes of pop music is the only thing that matters in the world right now. Yeah. And that stays with you when you hear it 50 years later and go, oh, or 40 years later, that feeling of immediacy and, yeah. and I, I, yes, passion. And just also, sort of
0: like you know, the promise of being delivered out of that experience. Well,
1: the promise of the music office is, is something – do you not think that when you when you first fall in love with music, it's a bit like drugs—the first time you fall deeply and heavily in love with a not band? Not everyone or, does. I know, but you and I did. So we're, well, let's just talk about us. That forevermore, you're chasing that moment, that exhilaration of that time that you felt, that sense of possibility that music gave you.
0: That uh, every, it, i know that you continue to be a fan. Um, I do. I just—I I don't know. It was so much a part of my life for so long, and sort of like a part of my life that I'd rather not continue. That um, if it's not served up to me, yes, I don't. You don't go searching
1: for music anymore.
0: I look. I, I, I try sometimes, but not with uh, the sort of studious approach that you would have. Yes, I do. I have my Shazam embarrassment, <laughs> you know. If I'm going past a hip young person's place <laughs> and put off the Shazam and I, I fight.
1: I fi- I've been known to do this as well and um, I have embarrassed my daughter as a consequence. Yeah. And, I've, and, you know, too- I go
0: to, well, it's not as good as it used to be, but what is kids? All music used to be a very good resource for mm. offering me. I find that the Spotify algorithm is fucking pointless. Like, yeah, collect data about me. Give me things that I might actually want to hear. Never does. No, it's.
1: Very disappointing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, is it's so disappointing. Pre- so predictable in terms of its what it's it, it. It basically assumes that you're a dickhead, the way that it offers you the same thing the entire time. And there's no sort of nuance around. No,
0: it's a dickhead. Yeah, just offers bad choices. Mm, uh, not a fan. I mean, of course, the collection of data, the fact that our use of mobile devices is monetized, our data collected by fucking anyone shits me right off. But if you're going to do it, can you do it well? Like I find a lot of the time my, my profiling by large corporations is way off mark. They think they know everything, but they don't. They think I want a Russian bride. <laughs> there was a time. <laughs> Honestly. They just haven't caught up. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, unless it's served up. You do it in a very studious way. You continue to be a very enthusiastic person. You're an enthusiastic person. I still, yeah, okay, I still look. Yeah. Occasionally I'll find something that I like very much. But like a lot of folk, I reckon, perhaps you do this as well, you hear the needle drop. So you're getting it from visual media a lot Mm. of the time, a cue. And, you know, I have even downloaded playlists of a show that I particularly liked, you know.
1: Which shows?
0: I don't want to say. (laughs) So... Uh, There's a
1: great Stranger Things one. It is it is a nostalgia yeah. romp for us of the uh, the generation in which it is filmed in that mid eighties generation. Yeah. The most, I'll give you an example of how the algorithm can work, which is fascinating. So about two years ago, before li- literally just months before he passed away, Andy Gill from The Gang of Four brought a version of The Gang of Four to play the entertainment. Did he pop double. off? He did, unfortunately.
0: Fucking love The Gang of yeah, Four. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I we, oh, went a bunch of old. Fuckers went to this gig, loved it. But Evie said, can I come along? And said, well, do you like the Gang of Four? Oh, yeah, all well, my friends love it. So what had happened, They're their algorithm must be better because, you know, they don't listen to Radiohead and Block Party and all this other younger style music, which I like too. And it had spun <laughs> them into... The uh, the Gang of Four, and for them, that was just another great sounding band. So we went to this show. Up the front of this gig was this whole cohort of young 20-somethings going fucking crazy for Love Like Anthrax and and all the entertainment record and the
0: oldies are up the back and it didn't matter. I think, you know, so there is research emerging. I can't find any scholarly data on it, but I I know this because I've always had a bit of a nose for this sort of stuff. I used to write about it and, you know, used to bother some people I knew working uh, in um, with the Austereo, you know, formerly the the sort of largest music yes. network in Australia. And, Block of you know, rock. Tried to find out what Clear Channel, the massive, mm. or I don't know if they're, they're still massive, you know, their research techniques. And there was a emerging confusion around about 2002, 2003. People below a particular age were no longer date stamping music. Yes. As clearly as they did before. Now, I believe you about these kids—a gang of four. You do tend to romanticise the young. Do I? That's all right. I
1: believe in the young people. I believe the children are our future. I
0: honey. fucking hope so. I mean, because we did fuck all. Like we r- gave it a good crack. Oh come on! What? Generation X. What a pointless waste of time we were. <laughs> what do we do? Invent S- Google. Great. Um, <laughs> well, okay. South I'm, li- I'm not loading, taking
1: generationally self loathing. It's not good for
0: you. That was the greatest thing about our generation. What's that? That we were comfortable with hating ourselves. That was the best thing about the 90s. Being morose and cynical <laughs> was cool. Unfortunately, I never stopped. <laughs> it, was our, it
1: was our heyday. Mm. <laughs> we were shit and we knew it. Yeah.
0: Fuck you and fuck you and fuck you. You know, it was for a brief instant there. So it was fun? My nature. Coincided with the popular culture.
1: You were built for those times.
0: I got really famous there for a minute. Like I'm really fucking famous. I know you did. I it was, was there. Ridiculous. I was there what did you get happen. So, yeah, so that's, I'm just underscoring my point. Not only that I am a sad old wreck covered in the jizz of labor, um, <laughs> uh, no, but that's how much I coincided with what I then discovered was the shallow pain of the era. People weren't really upset and disgruntled. They all stopped. By 98, they were all happy. Fuckers. <laughs> they deserted me. I was just
1: pretending. You were doing the real thing.
0: But at the turn of this century, there was some stuff emerging that was starting to confuse music programmers, and that was that the millennials now starting to come of age were not making those distinctions. But the young people who are the rock snobs, and i got a mate who's got a rock snob daughter, and it seems to me, I mean, I wouldn't, tell her this, but she is replicating the experience that we had. She refuses to use Spotify. She will only buy on vinyl.
1: God bless her.
0: And she's got a band and only gay boys can be in it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which sounds immensely healthy if you ask me. And, you know, she goes to live shows and stuff and it's fucking great.
1: But you're saying she's replicating that experience? Is, is it?
0: Yeah. Well, we, whether whether knowingly or unknowingly, but yeah. you know, the experience of a rock nerd. Now we're talking specifically here of people who connect very deeply. Like the human creature connects with music, perhaps more so at particular times than others. Yes. The creation of the teen and music for the teen. That's a that's a creation from the wider world. But I think we could both agree that whether or not you call us teens and make a market for us. It's Does it still... make me
1: sort of emotionally stunted that I still live in that world, that that's still my thing?
0: No, you're lucky. What, what do you mean? Well, like I'm discovery? Still... No, if you can retain any joy in your life, fucking go for it, Oh, mate. good.
1: I'm just checking. and I thought I might have, I should, you know, grow up or something.
0: No, God, no. Why would you want to do that? I don't know, because
1: you're expected to, aren't you?
0: Oh, uh, no. Well, I mean, I, I, I haven't. I don't want
1: to, mind. So I'm not yeah. saying this is something It's I'm actually,
0: just... It's actually a bit of an effort to keep up. Oh, I, yeah, I find it a fucking effort. Well,
1: I don't, I don't keep up. I don't try to keep up, but I do let, allow myself to frolic in the, you know, find what I like and not yeah. give a shit what anyone thinks anymore.
0: I have to confess, I do love the hip-hop, but the fucking, there's no guitars. I love a guitar. <laughs> there's no, I mean, you know, what do you have? Rangmol for the Alabama Shakes. Oh. Uh, I mean, thank goodness for the Alabama Shakes. Very good, I think. Good band, yes. Very fucking good. There's not many guitars.
1: Not as many as there was.
0: Oh, yeah! Fucking no one's like doing good rock. I mean, okay, so the electric guitar is dead, but yeah. So it's you know it's an effort. But I do. I mean, not to. Nothing was better in the old days. No, but it was quite the uh, solo journey to visit the independent record store, or you know, get the radio in a position in your bedroom that it could could receive the community radio station, you know, with its small footprint or, you know, you had very limited times or... You know, it would take three months for the fucking NME. I was going
1: to say, hanging out for the NME. Oh, did you do that too? Oh, totally, yeah.
0: Oh, my God, yeah. Getting angry about things three months later.
1: <laughs> Reading reviews I never understood a word of.
0: Uh, yeah, I know, but I very much <laughs> pretended and they oh, were absolutely. very fucking influential. Totally. Like a lot of my writing style I now realise was completely caused by the NME rock journalist style. I love the
1: fact that the, 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 the style of journalism was so highfalutin that it was written in a sort of quasi-intellectual style
0: that pop, oh my God. Pop yeah. music
1: was given that sort of gravitas. That was, was right there for me.
0: One of the reasons, you know, because I was just basically a snob. Unfortunately, not born to the, the the nobility, but I was the daughter of a builder in a small house in the outer suburbs of Canberra. Uh, but this was my regular dose of salvation. But yeah, waiting for the NME. I don't really love the movie Almost Famous, and in fact, I think that Cameron Crowe should be banned from directing. But I do like the Lester Bangs character played by PSH.
1: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
0: I think that that is Listen, kid, none of
1: these guys are your friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. We are uncool. We are are not rock stars. We are the fans of rock. Yeah. And we were such fucking nerds that we both got jobs at this place. I don't know if it still exists. It's called Triple J. It's uh, run by the state media, ABC. And um, like I was fucking obsessed. I wanted to be snotty. And you were good at it. You were good at it. Can I just say
1: Helen was great at it?
0: Well, for a brief period, yeah. Yeah. There I was. But but yeah, it was very much a case of the time. And you know, there was a reason that me and Riot Girls coexisted in space time. It was meant to Uh, be.
1: But just back to back to Stranger Things. So the.
0: No, I don't care. You don't care anymore. I don't care. So so you're. you're, I, I don't. You know. Look, I've tried. It's not my thing. Okay. So when did this sort of form of like visually led music nostalgia begin? I'm going to go with, and I don't know, probably Scorsese did it years before and, you know, maybe French cinema or maybe Sergei Eisenstein, but um, the first time I remember that very influential nostalgia needle drop that led to contemporary radio playlisting, not in high rotation, but nonetheless doing it and DJs playing Steel's Wheel stuck in the middle Reservoir Dogs, 1992, I think, and there's a lot of those, you know, grisly things are happening. But with
1: juxtaposed a, with a jaunty sort of pop yeah. hit from the mid 70s. So
0: you know, Quentin Tarantino, it, maybe Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse
1: Now, or is that the? the oh one? yeah, look,
0: I have no doubt that one of those. I Indoors mean, that's why I end, said, you know, know so by, by Scorsese. I used Scorsese yeah. as a sort of a, uh, a a collective noun. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it was <laughs> for,
0: a, for the good directors, right? For yeah. their famous ones, but I mean. I think that it became uh, a regular thing, but I mean, I really think that the moment that it started being a thing in the West, or at least the Anglophone West, was with Reservoir yeah. Dogs. Yeah,
1: and the other thing about that also is that he, Tarantino was not obvious in his selections. It wasn't just a you know the obvious pop hit. He would find these little gems that were a little esoteric or. Off oh yeah, the track I mean, he had, he had good them. Really smart. Well, I mean, he's a dickhead, but
0: oh yeah, whatever. He's a smart dickhead. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, no, no doubt. I mean, he did make some interesting changes to cinema. He brought the techniques of schlock horror to a wide audience uh, and he could shoot a car, which apparently he learned from Australian film. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Yes. He said that it's the Australian filmmakers of the 1980s fetishised the car in a way that he always sought to mimic.
1: Mad Max. And- oh,
0: yeah, but no, there were a whole lot of others. I think yeah. he's a, you know, uh, he talks about it. So I think that those kids that you saw at the Gang of Four my Ellie's uh, daughter, Ellie, Those kind of kids, they're they're the rock snob kids. They're the kids that, uh, you know. I'm just glad they still exist. Yeah, yeah. So they still exist. But, like, because there's no, because pop radio is not your most usual apprehension of music, the the time stamping has stopped for people and the solo experience of listening to music. Mm. I was very struck by a particular image in the early two thousands, whenever the iPod was launched and there was a silhouette dancing alone. Oh, I remember that. And it yeah. just has always stuck with me that advertisement, that image, because it was also my route to friendship. And in fact, did bring me a very unusual job opportunity. And I mean, music had meant so very much. And the experience of listening to music with others was also important. Totally. Yeah, and I just thought and oh, discovering
1: I, music together in that way, rather than sort of you know in the isolation of your iPod algorithm or your your, your iPhone algorithm or
0: yes, yes. So I mean, I just, sharing I, a record, me I, coming over yeah. to your
1: place with a, a record, saying listen to
0: this. Yeah, it just that image stuck in my mind yeah. for some reason and wouldn't budge, and it troubled me for some reason. I didn't realize for years later that was what was upsetting me. So I think that yeah, yeah. So you can theorize also like um, the form of in you say this sort of like mishmash approach to time is brought to bear sartorially uh, and in some uh, other cases quite extensively throughout their lives by the hipster, right? Like what the fuck era are you supposed to be? Your glasses belong to a beat poet. Your fucking op shop fucking gear is is like you know what what is that ballerina skirt? I mean, is it is it you know Sarah Jessica Parker or is it eighties and uh, like oh and you have cassettes and hey if you want to be cool hips don't go cassettes try to get a mini disc oh, you know wow. or an uh, a track you know like there's more obscure dead technology you can in make the-
1: it harder for yourself to listen to music if you really try yeah, you trying hard enough and a
0: typewriter come the fuck on. (laughs) Seriously? But I mean, very much, there's a reason to deride hipsters. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, look, bless and and whatever, but uh, Uh, their their form of dress and then when you get a little look into their uh, form of, you know, ritual and, and whatnot, you know, it borrows voraciously from different eras. And I just find it odd, I guess. I find it odd. I wonder, do you know the origin of that thing? So uh, the, the hipster is a character that once we would have called postmodern. Yes. Uh, I think, you know, that the pieces are reassembled. Uh, so, yeah, so most people, rock snobs are still rock snobs and they find each other, hopefully, although perhaps not as easily. They still go to gigs. They're so cute. <laughs> I didn't know Gang of Four were playing.
1: I know. it was. I fucking yeah. love Gang of Four. When did they play? It was... It was it was just it was an interlude between lockdowns. I just remember going, Oh, they're here. They played. Uh, and then he. Damaged uh, goods.
0: Ah, Did they do damaged goods? They
1: did all of it. And then he died like literally two months later. It was really sad.
0: Fuck. Poor Andy. Uh, yeah. Anyhow. So the other interesting. Th- no, no, that's enough data for you. But it is a, a thing that is happening. I mean, I don't really mourn the demise of radio.
1: I don't listen to radio anymore either, which I find kind of sad given we've invested. You find s-
0: everything sad. I know. You're do, in that a mood. Bit. But, you know, we invested,
1: we were very passionate about radio. We loved it and we, you know. Yeah, I'm so.
0: Of- I used to be passionate about cast singles. <laughs> I didn't really. But, hey, you know, seeing we're talking about something related to the charts, do you know the first number one cast single, the first number one that was only issued on a cast single?
1: Oh, In Australia. So I've, got, I've got to try and timestamp this to work out what it might be. Was it EMF Unbelievable?
0: No, it was Do the Bartman <laughs> by Bart Simpson.
1: <laughs> um, That's even better.
0: Uh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I quite like Do the Bartman. Uh, yeah, and I miss the days where Bart was really a very central character. Yes, Simpsons is still fucking good.
1: Is it? I have yes! for ages.
0: It's still fucking good. Okay. I mean. we will dive back thank, in and have and a look. Honestly, thank heavens that Hank got pulled up for his silly voices. I was always uncomfortable with those. Mm. The Simpsons is still good. Like season 33, so funny. Season 32, you get a look at the origin story of comic book guy.
1: Oh, wow. Now that is something I would watch.
0: So it's like, I mean, where a lot of the sort of we put our music stuff, I mean, I think that's where the close relation of the, the teen music nerd who's too uncool to be a rock star are, you know, the cons, the, the various cons, which were going long before there was Comic-Con. So it's through visual culture a lot of the time yes. too, like a shared appreciation of fantasy slash speculative slash Sci-fi. So
1: Minotaur Bookstore in Melbourne was the other sort of hangout for our cohort of pop culture nerds when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, collecting comic books. and yeah, They
0: find each other and they marry each other and it's fucking gorgeous. It's good, genius, absolutely. So Running Up That Hill, right? Yes. Let's get back to the song. So there's been a great to-do about running up that hill, in particular getting to the number one position on the billboard charts. Uh, Whatever know, that means these days. Like, well, yes, um, exactly. I can tell you what it means if you like. And arguably she didn't get to number one because there was actually a chart exception made for running up that hill. It's not a
1: handicap uh, event.
0: It is a handicap event. It is. Uh, it's very difficult to weight music consumed to sales. Not that the old charts were ever fair or free from God, manipulation. No. or it's uh, like know, crazy. And, and, yeah, and no one would check you know, independent record stores and whatnot. I mean the Australian music chart for years was compiled by one guy, you know, the Kent Report, which mm. was ARIA charts for ages. Like And there the were night. chart
1: stores and everyone knew which the chart yeah. stores like were. It was eh?
0: One got what one guy thought. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Good on him. And you know, and they are also a marketing tool. So new music, you have to have a hundred streams for new music. Older music, 200 streams.
1: In terms of what? The the equivalent chart acknowledgement?
0: Yeah. So 100 streams of a song yeah. is said to equal a sale in the old school. Okay. There are other data uh, in the billboard and the ARIA and what have you calculations. But it, it seems to me a stream is not a sale and can't be scaled up to be a sale. You know, did somebody listen to the whole song? That's not included. Did somebody volitionally seek out Mm. this song? Is that included? If they are a subscription payee, have they downloaded the song? Like all of these things are not included, right? So, I mean, yeah, teens love new music. Allegedly all people, still a market for new music and music will be made. But, you know, like it doesn't take long before you're also listening to older tracks. You don't have to be that old to also be listening to something three years ago, which at that age may as well have been two decades, <laughs> yes. right? So at home, what you can choose to consume on your own, there might be like a great deal of old in it. There's quite a few articles about how old music dominates, you know, uh, two-thirds of all sales. They're not sales. Uh, like 65%, something around that area of the music consumed on streaming is old music, not recent releases. Oh, and by the way, for an album... 1250 is what Billboard has decided. <laughs> it is a single sale. Um but
1: of a whole album.
0: But, well yeah. I mean there wouldn't be or many tracks
1: from the album. Where was
0: the last time you uh, you probably you Francis but like you know normal folk <laughs> or people who aren't <laughs> you know like you you know he's like one of those um film students that sits in the cinema to read and applaud the credits, you know. He's going to listen to the whole album. I do I'm not st- many I'm going to say that I believe not many people do that. No. And there are these Which I find claims made that it's young people. So it all happened very quickly. Um, it was predicted that Kate Bush would become number one for the first time. I think that maybe it's possible. Like this is not a conspiracy theory or anything, but you and I both yeah. know how fucking corrupt and low the record industry has been, you know. They're fucked in so many ways. And they were fucked in the way that they held on to their intellectual property and let Napster smash them. Mm. It was years before I could purchase music online. And I think, like, a lot of people, it was just like, oh, I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> you know, so I started. In the same like,
1: way that you'd have to pay for it listening to the radio. Yeah.
0: You know. uh, radio stations have to pay. The, the music industry, like the, what's the one, it's the R-I-A-A in the USA, isn't it? Which is
1: the equivalent to the REA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Record industry.
0: Yeah, so the of RIAA. I mean, there's a long memory in that institution and they still feel very ripped off by radio because the licensing agreement was made long ago. Uh, there was campaigning against listening booths when they began, you know, people won't buy the record and Companies were so short-sighted, even about streaming yes. music. It, it took quite a while for Apple to offer the sale. Um, and it wasn't comprehensive for a long time. When music c- could be condensed down to a transportable size, which was about like, what was it, 98, 99 that we 98 yeah. the MP3. It's yeah. still what we often use. Just being old, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs>
1: My first encounter with an iPod was with Jeff Tweedy. who was supposed to be coming in to do some play your favourite tracks thing when I was still at Triple J. And he brought, I said, where's your CDs or records? And he said, oh, I didn't bring that. I brought this little white thing. And it was an iPod. And oh, he yeah. showed me what it was. Yeah. My mind was being blown. I was like, you've got. Explosion. Explosion. <laughs> I didn't know how to plug it into anything, but it was like, like it was unbelievable.
0: Hmm, yeah. It was all in this little box. But I think, I mean, there's not been really. You know, Moore's Law, uh, the Mm. computer thing. Moore, given him his due, didn't say that that would go on at infinitum. It stopped in 2013. Yeah. No technological advances of note, like, in terms of our everyday lives. Like, things that change our perception of the world and change our behaviour.
1: I've never got my smart fridge that was going to talk to me and tell me.
0: I know! Where's my fucking internet fridge? (laughs) Where the fuck is my internet fridge? They promised
1: us that we are going to have them now. It hasn't happened.
0: You're so... It's an old industry, um, and by the time they got to negotiate with MTV, mm. that now has shows about pregnant teens and expensive bat mitzvahs, they charged a fuck of a lot yeah. for for the mechanical. Uh, is that mechanical rights, mechanical license, or whatever the fuck it is. The 1990s was a really weird time. It was the time of greatest profitability. Have you seen the the word or heard the word the term Y2K? going around at the moment. I believe, I could be quite wrong. I just but remember I,
1: to, uh, the great panic around computers. Uh, in the- I
0: believe it refers to a style around that time.
1: There was style around that time?
0: You, you can never see style when you're immersed in it, yes. It was ridiculous. Don't you remember? I had my tits out for all of the <laughs> 90s and wore, like, <laughs> ripped petticoats. Do you not remember? I do,
1: I do remember that. I do. I you mean, rocked it well.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it was minimal effort. An aggressive makeup. I've always been, as a legally blind person, very, very grateful for that. But there was this brief period in the 1990s. Now, there was not universal compliance among the people for the CD as the primary form of receiving their audio, listening to their music, until about 91.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: I reckon in the US and here and, you know, the West generally, your parents might have still had cassettes, uh, but, you know, there was uptake of that stuff. In the 90s. And suddenly, you know, they cut the cost of making the fuckers so fast and they kept them at the same price. And they were making money hand over fucking fist. Like if there was time to be in a band too, it was the 90s, you know. It
1: was the last great um, era of mass consumable items. I reckon
0: the last band in Australia that would have bought a house from music would have been like Jet.
1: Yes, that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, because I know one of them bought a flat in St Kilda. That's how long ago it was, sinceker is no longer a place to live for the, for the young and the cool. No, it's like, not. It's no. For boring people like me. It Still got smack, though. We'll always have that. Uh And, and then there was this adjustment, so what is it Sean Parker?
1: Napster guy?
0: does. Yeah. I, I think Napster's like 99 to 2000, right? Yes. first heard about MP3s in '98. And I didn't really know what it meant. But I did have an understanding of like digital audio workstations, at least working in music. I I understood digital things because I'd learnt to pirate by then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The frontier of piracy.
0: And, you know, that was a great shift and they they didn't keep up. And so with every concession they make as distributors, as licence holders, and don't ever think that the fucking, the bands get paid. You've got to be huge as a band. Yeah, you do. And now it's like you don't make any money from a record. You make it's the inverse, isn't it? You know what is it? You used to tour to promote a CD or a record, yeah. And now you you, put out a CD CD to to promote promote a a tour. tour. Yeah, yeah. Interesting shift. Okay, that's too much nineties for you. I found the reports on the Kate Bush thing. I mean, lovely, you know. But okay, so first EMI got the two hundred sales law temporarily suspended in order for her to get to. Number one, on the Billboard charts. Right? Oh well, you're just like, well, this is new music because it's. It was in their interest, I suggest. I'm not being all. There are things they don't want you to know. Wake up, sheep!le About it, but it's interesting, right? The UK's uh, supervisory committee revoked the rule, and this idea that you know it was young people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, I mean, Spotify's data, I guess I don't have a right to see it. Perhaps I'd have to become a majority shareholder. Yes. I mean, I know I lied abundantly about my private details because that's a good thing to do. Often, I shouldn't say that actually, Spotify are pretty on it with saying, we found somebody and another IP address using your account, we're shutting you down. God. Um, okay, so, so it was in their interest to go with young people love this And this is a first, which it wasn't, because, you know, there's a better argument for giving it a higher ranking on the charts.
1: Great way to promote the show.
0: It's not. Streaming's not the only thing. Like radio airtime counts as well. It's it's a weird thing.
1: It's a hybridisation of the old chart.
0: Yeah, yeah. And number one, I mean, there's, you know, many people have observed this, that, you know, this is evidence that the charts mean nothing. They don't mean nothing. They're just not necessarily good data not not that they ever were but they're a promotional tool and this story has been strangely huge and yeah i just wonder you know i don't think that it was a brilliant conspiracy but it's not it's also
1: a form of validation for a previous generation our generation hey these young people think the music we loved yeah Fuck cool.
0: Yeah, and you know, and there's some pricks. <laughs> we were right. And there's some pricks that would fucking know Kate Bush <laughs> if, if she flew up their asshole. They wouldn't fucking know her. <laughs> they were fucking listening to Brian Adams at the time. And don't
1: pretend otherwise. We know who you are. I
0: was a rock snob. You were giving me shit. <laughs> but you know, I mean, she was huge in the UK. Oh
1: yeah, the idea that she wasn't a star. Running,
0: is ridiculous. yeah, and running up that hill. Uh, was the it song of the year, made, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. it it did make it to number thirty on the the billboard charts, which is not nothing.
1: In the states, you mean? yeah,
0: it was t- that was uh, that was a big deal, made it to number thirty, made it to number six on the UK charts. Uh, which is still
1: an extraordinary achievement for this weirdly wonderful.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about Kate Bush. She's not nothing. She's quite something. You know, her and Peter Gabriel and Dave Gilmore fiddling around with a with a fair light. There's probably an argument to be made that it was, like, the most electronic record yet made.
1: Of its time, I mean, she did the whole thing on the Fairlight. Mm. That was the whole like, yeah. premise of the album. And that's
0: one of the reasons that The Hounds of Love is, I mean, it's listenably great, but for fans of Bush, and I have a friend, Annalise, who's been doing the Wuthering Heights, you know, mass dance for years. She loves Kate, as a lot of people do, she, but she's a true Bush star. Case, you're, you're aware of the yearly wather, oh, yes. Wuthering Heights I haven't stance. been able to do it myself. It's hilarious. I think it's great. <laughs> I mean, like, Kate, hey, that's an international affair, it I believe. It is, yes. So the, the true Bush connoisseur will say that Hounds of Love is the culmination of many years. Um, it signifies her successful departure from wastrel pop star with the Wuthering Heights, a very odd pop star, but still a pop star to whom... No agency was attributed. You know how, like, a lot of people get really dirty about Kate Bush? You probably have dirty thoughts about Kate Bush still, I imagine.
1: (laughs) There are periods of Kate's, yes, videography that I particularly appreciated.
0: I mean, one of the appealing things about her as, you know, this young Wraith or what have you, is that she's got the body of a woman but the mind of a child. And that's very (laughs) healthy to fetishize. (laughs) And she
1: moved with such grace and allure. Uh,
0: well, a guy called Lindsey Kemp, I'm sure you know this name from Rock Snob history, taught her to dance. I believe he choreographed her and David Bowie.
1: Um, but you know, also the thing about I'm going to get too deep in the Rock Snob weeds, but Hounds of Love was her establishing herself in the same, to me, in the same category of Bowie in being genre breaking in a way that that record, if you listen to it now. It lives in its own universe. It, she's established an entirely new and well, separate universe yeah, for her. Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, arguably. and, and, and so that's Scary and Monsters
1: is, and Super Freaks, which yeah. David Bowie does.
0: Scary Monsters?
1: Seriously? Sort of 1980s Scary Monsters,
0: uh, ash to I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, like you know, Ashes to uh, No, no. Really? Yes. Not station to station. All, all, yeah, I'm just, yeah, all in. You
1: could pick any of them really but I. No.
0: No. <laughs> the three Berlin records. What the fuck are you talking oh, about? I those records. Yeah, that's not one of the Berlin records. No, it's not.
1: It's the one that followed it or two down the track.
0: Lodger. Awesome. Yeah, you got an argument. Scary Monsters.
1: I love that record so much.
0: Okay. All right. But you're, Don't you know, me. you're true to Bowie. You probably got that final record, Black Star or whatever. It's awesome. I, I've heard. Um, <laughs> um, what a
1: way to go out.
0: Yeah, you're good. Good on you, Dave. <laughs> Sorry about all of those articles that libfems wrote about you being a rapist.
1: I didn't know about
0: that. Oh, look, I I shouldn't start. There is uh, a woman who uh, I can't remember her name, but she has named herself, and it was her aim to have her virginity pierced, ended by Mr. Bowie, in which she succeeded. She says that she was 15. There is a view that she was 13. Uh, either way, she always describes the experience is favourable. I mean, it was the seventies, man. And this lady doesn't seem to be at all troubled by mm. it. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one. There was a group of girls in LA, all of them about 12 to 15. I've they read- had uh, they had a magazine. What was it called? Like it was something w- they actually did themselves.
1: Yes. I read about them in a book called Please Kill Me, which is the history of US punk and how um, they were—they um,
0: were pre-punk, though these girls. Yeah,
1: they were. They, but they, this this does predate punk, as we know. This—they were in the time of Iggy and Bowie and the New York Dolls and whatnot, and um, and hanging around. And they were. Their parents knew about their uh, their activities and used to say, as long as you turned up for school, it was okay.
0: I want to say that it was Star magazine, but I can't remember. But it was a group, you know, as they, they sort of like dedicated lo- groupies, you know, lo- lionized in again that movie Almost Famous. And many of them were 13. They were bitches. I love them. Maybe they had agency. Just saying. It's a possibility. Fuck, I shouldn't say that. You'll all call me a kitty fiddler. Fuck you. Here on Naggers in the Badge. <laughs> so it is actually, yeah, it is interesting in that it offers us a look into the, the machinations of the record industry. It gives me, brings me comfort to know that they're probably still a pack of cunts.
1: Oh, no, not probably.
0: The idea that Kate Bush. And that song in particular had not been appreciated well previously is bullshit. It went again to the top five in the UK because it was played during the, uh, nobody watches when the torch is lit at an opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, do they? That was, the, the soundtrack was running up that hill. So another entry to the chart then. I looked up the number of television programs just in a few years, just in the streaming era, that have used Running Up That Hill. I mean, Pose has used it. Hey, what about that placebo cover? How bad is that?
1: I haven't heard that yet.
0: Oh, God, don't. Uh, it's been used on the OC, actually, placebo cover. It's been like, extensively used.
1: Placebo covering Kate.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, it's just like, I mean, there's too many Generation X's in the media who didn't know about Kate Bush because they are so fucking uncool. Back in the day. And I don't know. I I mean, told them. who knows? Like this fucking condescending idea about the young that, oh, yeah, they love Kate Bush. Like if they're fucking kids who like music, they're going to have like looked it up previously. It's also not the biggest uh, surprise of re-entry into the charts. Who actually holds that record? I'm glad you asked. He loves a bit of poo. Well, he loves to watch it. <laughs> Who's that? Chuck Berry. Really? Yeah. Run Rudolph, run.
1: <laughs> Chuck?
0: Yeah, yeah. Run Rudolph, run. Um, it got to top five. The, yeah, fifty years after or something like that. I, I've got. I've, I've over prepared. Um, I've got to say though, so as good as it is, and you know, it was an extraordinary work. Uh, it, it was probably the finest use of a digital audio workstation to date. Right? Yeah, it's amazing. And I reckon it still holds up. I always found the synth sounds a bit cheesy, even at the time. A bit too Tears for Fears. But now I realise Tears for Fears wrote fucking great songs.
1: Pop song genius.
0: Oh my God. All their three big singles were out also in 1985. Oh my God. Head over
1: heels. Head what over song. heels. What my a God. Pop perfection.
0: Oh my God. That's one of the reasons I fucking hated that movie Donnie Darko. They didn't play the original. It's a fucking cover. Oh, it's awful. And also, I didn't understand Donny Darko. <laughs> but
1: rabbit, what was it
0: doing? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it needs my to be name. said. What are you doing? It needs to Frank? be said. Uh, it, it 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 does need to be said. So, did the dreaming come before or after?
1: Uh, the dreaming was before. Be- yeah. So it's before. just like
0: its title track is such condescending colonial muck. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing that Kate has not been cancelled. Um, it's about um, uh, indigeneity it in is. Australia and um, it's fucking shit and didgeridoo as played by Rolf Harris. Oh, wow. That was how connected to uh, Aboriginal culture oh. in Australia Kate in fucking Hampstead was. She got Rolf. So when she issued it in tw- reissued it in, in 2018. Hex that track? Uh, no, she just took out the didge. <laughs> Should Can- have taken out the whole fucking song. Canceled, bro. It's role. a piece of racist shit. Yeah, I just found it funny. It's like, can't have a petty playing the didgeridoo. <laughs> Arguably not a great idea to have a white fella uh, playing cool the didgeridoo. And what the fuck were you hanging around Rolf for? So, Jeremy is kind of like a Bush fan will argue that it's an essential part of her over. I don't fucking care. It's shit.
1: It's nowhere near the quality of Hounds of Love. Or anything that came after. I love Ariel as well. It's a great
0: record. Last release in 2011? It might have been, yeah. Yeah. It's a while ago now. So all of this is self-indulgent rambling largely on my part, but does make the case that, yes, absolutely we acknowledge that she is a great artist and this is a great song, arguably her greatest. The best song from her best album is a thing that one can say without probably shitting anybody.
1: And let's hope that she makes another record.
0: Um, Maybe she can piss off another Indigenous group. Maybe she can, you know, get a pedo of today to (laughs) play that. I mean, you know, her mate Peter Gabriel always shat me too with his fucking world music. Save that for another podcast. (laughs) You know, uh, Pete, I think, it was $32,000 to buy Fairlight. Back then? I did too much research. That's a lot of money. The Fairlight uh, CMI invented in Australia. There was only three hundred ever made. Do you want to know who the first customer was? Oh, can I guess? Yeah, John Farnham, Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder. Much better.
1: Um, So he would have used that on "I Just Called to Say I Love You." Yeah. Oh dear.
0: Was running up that hill though. The number one song. Of the year of
1: 1985. Okay, well, here well, we go. Well,
0: Francis, put on the timer. I am because we're gonna we're gonna bring you. <laughs> oh, we're God. gonna bring you some rock stob hits <laughs> and memories, and we're gonna we're gonna name songs that we think were better
1: from 1985.
0: What are we gonna do? Like like 30, 60 of this?
1: At number 60?
0: No. Oh wait, how many seconds? Can you put your fucking timer on? Otherwise, okay, we'll go all right, day. All right. <laughs>
1: Sorry. I thought we were gonna count down the chart. Number 60. Fucking hell. Don't know that much about it. Okay, ready?
0: 60 seconds. 60 Go. seconds of what we thought. Doesn't have to be charting songs. Okay, no, start again. Doesn't have to be charting songs, but songs. From
1: 1985. Yeah,
0: like 1985. Songs from 1985 that you, as a rock snob, remember and you think may rival uh, or equal. Or uh, be almost as good as let's we're just basically okay. saying names.
1: Okay. William, it was really nothing by the Smiths.
0: Um, just like Honey, Jesus, and Mary Chain.
1: The cure
0: in between days? King of Rock! Call me Sire! That's what sucker MCs have to call me. <laughs> King of Rock by Run DMC. And there's a the small matter of Kiss by Prince Go.
1: That's another good one. uh um, so you're wasting the, time the, with the ch-
0: saying names.
1: Uh the church <laughs> the, the church uh and um uh, Boys.
0: West End Girls. Oh, Fresh Up Boys. Yep. Um, Godly and Cream. Cry.
1: Oh, great tune as yeah, well. I oh,
0: fucking no! I was so proud of myself <laughs> for thinking that. God, oh, my God. Simple Minds,
1: Don't You Forget About Me. Not a uh, great yeah, song no, but no, no, was a no, big no, no. hit.
0: I Feel For You, Shaka Khan.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Uh, run
0: away, turn away, run away, turn away. Broadway. Small Town Boy. Echo Absolute. and the Man,
1: The Killing Moon.
0: Oh uh, Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh Main. Give me something here. Uh like, not a great band, but uh, Johnny Come Home, FYC, Find Cannibals. Good. Oh, yeah, that it's was good, a right? that was
1: a big hit at the time.
0: Definitely. New Day Rising, who's I love it. Tupelo, Nick Cave. I don't, not a big Nick, Nick Cave fan, but I do like that one. It's a great track. Go, oh. you, you, you're fucking slacking off. Where's the buzzer? Uh, uh, going? REM,
1: Driver Eight, and/or probably can't get there from here. From the wonderful Fables of the Reconstruction record, which I flogged at the time.
0: The Boss, Atlantic City, from Nebraska. Oh,
1: but his best record by mile. Um, the, the Cult, She sells Sanctuary.
0: Tenderness. Uh, by general public, oh, Dave which Wakeling. was um when remember when all of those l- the beats verses, were the, the, the 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 mashups was done with the Rihanna song, um, yeah. very very pretty. Dave result. Wakeling
1: and Ro- ranking Roger from the Beat, and the other two guys became Fine Young Cannibals.
0: Uh, yeah, very good year for Madge as well. Um, into the group, oh. which is my all time favourite Madge track, Nina ninety
1: nine Luftballons.
0: Um, uh, Waylon Johnny Willie and Kay Christopherson. Doing Jimmy Webb, Highwayman. Fuck me. That's quality. Have I won? You have. I thought you were going to say Mantronics or Curtis Blow. I thought I was leaving the hip hop to you.
1: Yeah, I failed on the hip hop front there. Didn't come up with the good stuff. I would have gone maybe Ultra Magnetic MCs. Uh,
0: Yeah, but I mean, uh, like, uh, what was the Mantronics song about Drop, Drop the Needle? That was like a huge, huge important hip hop song. But I mean, for me, call me a basic bitch. I fucking dare you. Um, run. Fucking love my run. Run DMC. What?
1: Still banging.
0: I know. And I still wear Adidas. It is the only brand loyalty <laughs> I have, which I share with late comrade Fidel Castro. Oh my gosh. That's probably enough, right? It's
1: been fun to catch up uh, again.
0: Yes. Yeah. Should we do it again soon? Yeah. But I think we need our own little podcast. We what do, do you say? I say uh, yes. Let us not in- inflict the uh, debris of decades of friendship on others.
1: Just do it for us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, just do it on another podcast. And if you like that kind of shit, you're a weirdo. Listen to that. <laughs> uh, Neckers in the Veg will be back um, at some time <laughs> or another. Do you think we've covered everything?
1: I think we've given it a good shake. Uh,
0: yeah, there is, there is, there is much more to say about chart positions. But do you fucking care? Probably not. Are you still listening? Hmm. Doubtful. Ask the magic eight ball. (laughs) Um, It's a fucking weird world out there, kids. And free Julian.
1: You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag.